0: what's your relationship with the word with the idea ambition i mean would you say that you were ambitious if i pointed a finger at you and said look you are ambitious how would you react no 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 no, don't accuse me of that or yeah yeah for sure or perhaps maybe maybe it just depends on what you mean by ambition i feel i'm ambitious and also not ambitious these two states coexist within me. I mean, I am ambitious because I want to grow into the best of who I am, to have a life of contentment I'm doing work that matters to me. And I'm not ambitious because some of the, let's call them status-based trophies, I'm using that in kind of speech marks, well, they just don't seem to matter to me as they once perhaps did. But, you know, honestly, I'm always pretty irked when I hear people like me talking about how now they're above and beyond the petty ambitions of mere mortals. It kind of feels like a humble brag about, I don't know, I've achieved enlightenment, what's wrong with the rest of you? Because I realized that it's only by having chased and pursued and and in some cases won some of those other trophies earlier on, striven for external validation and recognition. It's only by that have I started to appreciate what my bigger and perhaps more internally driven goals might be. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS. This is the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book, a book that has moved them, a book that has shaped them. Let me introduce you to Shelley Archimbo. She is the author of Unapologetically Ambitious. Now Shelley was ranked one of the hundred most influential business leaders in America. And that reflects a 30-year career where she was in leadership roles for various organizations, IBM, Blockbuster, various tech companies. And now she's been on a wide range of board companies for coming up to 20 years. So she really understands ambition at the highest echelons of organizational life. But here's where that started.
1: I'm just, uh, I'm a little black girl that grew up in the 1960s. Uh, who, in a world that was very racially charged, where half the people wanted civil rights and the other half didn't, learned very early that there were a lot of people that didn't think much would happen for her and, frankly, didn't even want much to happen for her.
0: Now, Shelley had aspirations to the contrary, although they did start humble.
1: All I wanted was to make enough money to keep my thermostat at 72 degrees in the wintertime. <laughs> right. Very simple. How much money do I have to make to keep my thermostat at 72? Because our house never went above 68.
0: Now, that was a humble goal, but a goal nonetheless. And early on, Shelley started a path of setting and achieving such goals that eventually went beyond just her thermostat, at least her literal thermostat.
1: Went to college and decided that I wanted to run a company because I enjoyed running clubs, et cetera. So I set my sights, but when I looked around, there weren't people that looked like me running companies, and especially not in tech, which was the industry I chose.
0: That successful career unfolded rising through IBM and then onto assorted senior roles. But what was it that took Shelley from a goal whose goal was just to keep a thermostat a little higher to leading in an industry that is not only notoriously difficult for women to rise to the most senior levels, but especially people of color? So, first of all, Shelly would probably point to her husband, and we'll talk about him in just a moment. But there was inner game work for her to do as well.
1: Oh, gosh. The first thing is, I needed to overcome imposter syndrome. Uh, and I say overcome it. I don't know that I ever actually overcame <laughs> it. I just learned how to deal with it. Right. But especially early on, you know, I just felt, oh my gosh, one day they're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out that I'm not that smart, not that bright, mm-hmm. right? they am going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing, right. That I don't belong here. I mean, all those things and it can really hold you back and keep you from taking risks or putting your name forward or volunteering for the job, the opportunity, whatever it might be. So Mm -hmm. that was probably the hardest for me was working through imposter syndrome.
0: And you talked about the role of your husband, Scotty, and helping nurture some of this. Well, was there something he was able to say or do or just in how he was that allowed that to take root because it's, it's no small thing.
1: No, it's no small thing at all. And honestly, he was my cheerleader. Mm. He really was. He was the one that was like, Shelly, you can do anything, <laughs> right? You can do anything. And when I come back and say, like, Oh my God, I don't know if I can do this the whole bit. He'd yeah. be the one to say, of course you can look what yeah. you've done so far. I mean, he was like, he was unwavering in yeah. his just ultimate support, no matter what doubts or fears that I had and I talk about it because over time other people became my cheerleaders too. And I think it's really important in life to have cheerleaders around you because life is really hard. People don't yeah. talk about that part, but it really is hard.
0: So where do you, where do you find those cheerleaders? Because not all of us have a Scotty in our life. Um, and not all of us have cheerleaders in our life. And I'm wondering, do you just get lucky? Or is there a way that you can find and nurture support around you that people who see you and hear you and say I, I can see bigger things for you
1: yes i think you can nurture it and i think that's how i have other cheerleaders beyond you know mm. scotty when people pay you a compliment yeah right, when they give you support many of us don't accept it and what i mean by don't accept it is we say oh no not really or you know just your kid I mean, we brush it aside
2: yeah right yeah
1: because many times we're just a little embarrassed that you know you're right you're putting me in the spotlight But what I'll tell you is those people who pay compliments, who actually give you encouragement and the whole bit, Mm. don't push them aside. When they do it, take the breath and say, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. And say, you know, I really appreciate it because sometimes this is really hard. (laughs) You know, you have to be, what I find is you have to be vulnerable in order to let people in. Mm. And if they feel like you've let them in, then they'll continue to support you. And the other way to get cheerleaders is become a cheerleader yourself.
0: I love that. Yeah. Right?
1: Tell, hey, Michael, you did a fantastic job <laughs> at that, right? You, you like,
0: Thank you, Shelly. That is Shelley. true. <laughs>
1: right. And then later on, if you see me do something, you might take the time. You know, Shelly's always supporting me. Let me support her. So right. there are multiple ways, but yeah. you know, giving is a great way of getting yeah. support and getting help.
0: Yeah. You talk about. Nurturing vulnerability. Of course, there's always this interesting tension between ambition and vulnerability. Here's a hypothesis, and I, I don't know you, so I'm just making it up, Shelley. But I imagine being a woman of color holding ambitions like this. Actually, you know, you're putting on armor rather than increasing vulnerability because there's you got a code shift, you got a code switch, you got to play all sorts of games, you got to not show vulnerability because that's a a more easily exploitable thing from people who hold power and hold influence how did you how do you balance that that tension between actually to succeed when there, there aren't people who look like you or sound like you in those roles you need to be a certain way but also great leadership has a degree of vulnerability in it as well
1: Yes. And, you know, you raise an excellent point because you're right. As I was coming up, especially early in my career, it was all about the armor. It was <laughs> right. all about the armor, right? Unless yeah. I was really close to you, right? Then you actually got to, and if you will, know the, the, the real me, et cetera. Uh, but what I learned is people found me intimidating. Mm. And it's like, really? Me? <laughs> um, but that was because of this, this armor of, you know, not letting people in. And if you don't mm. really let them in, they don't really get to know you. Yeah. And the bottom line is people, you know, people want to work with people they actually like. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a matter of trying to, you know, work too hard to be like, that's not what I mean. But if you don't give them a chance to actually get to know you, right, then it's hard for that to happen. Yeah. So you have to take the risk. And, and what I've learned is, you know, vulnerability and ambition go hand in hand. It's really hard to achieve your aspirations if you aren't ever vulnerable, mm. because, back to the point of people don't really get to know you and if they don't really get to know you then it's hard for them to become real supporters of right right Right. all all those things go hand in hand so i had to learn that and learn how to be vulnerable and trust me there's different levels right and i would say even you know well into being a ceo right i was more vulnerable but i Mm -hmm. had to really work on it by opening up right who who i am and it's not comfortable at times but it pays big dividends. And Mm -hmm. so now I feel very open, very transparent, you know, all those things. um, And that's come with the confidence.
0: Was there a person that role modeled a way of vulnerability that worked for you?
1: You know, that's a really good question. I would say there were a a few people. Um, One later in life was probably a man by the name of Bill Campbell.
2: Mm, famous. Bill, yeah.
1: yeah, he was a singer, right? Silicon Valley icon. And I was fortunate that he was actually a mentor of mine. Beautiful. And Bill believed in love. Mm. I mean, really got it. Okay. He really did. So <laughs> when he saw you, forget being politically erect and the whole bit. It was a big bear hug. It was, you know, he's talked first thing you always talked about was family and personal. And he'd share his two. You know, daughter played right. soccer, he was coaching. And it was like, wow, if this big, you know bear of a man, right. Who was able to achieve and do all these things can be just mm. as open, right. And, and vulnerable and warm, et cetera. Then mm-hmm. this can be done. This can be done.
0: It feels to me that when you're a leader in an organization, uh, certainly as a CEO of a big company, but even when you're just managing a team and you're a mid-level manager, you've got this tension between, I am trying to show love, And I've got to get stuff done, and I've got to make decisions about people in terms of their capacity and what they're doing, not just in terms of their humanity. Um, I'm wondering how you find that balance, Mm -hmm. particularly when you're senior, Shelley. Because you know, when you lead a company of some thousands of people, you can't love all of them. (laughs) You don't even know all of them. You're like you're you're seeing them as human capital rather than human beings. How do you navigate that?
1: Yeah, so let's, let's talk about language for a minute. you know to me yeah. love is the overarching, but the mm-hmm. way people typically experience love, and I I' here I'm not talking about a, a relationship like marriage right or something like that. yeah but the way people actually experience it is through caring. Mm. And if you think about it, at our very core, what everyone wants is to be cared about. Yes. We want to know that our spouse cares about us or our boyfriend or our parents mm-hmm. or our kids, right? And it's not what we say. It's not what we say. I can, I can say, you know, Michael, I care for you every single day. But right. if my actions don't actually show that I care, it's meaningless. Yeah. So they want to know you care, but they want to know it through actions, mm. right? Are you, do you keep them in mind? Are you thoughtful, right? right? Are you doing, it's all these things that make up caring. Well, guess what? That's not true just in your personal life. You don't want to know that you care about them at work too. So how you do that, it's by demonstrating caring. And demonstrating caring is basically having the person's interest at heart. Right. Right. And showing Mm -hmm. that you actually see them. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't hard conversations. Right. There are hard conversations. You know, I remember in terms of conversation with a a person and they had gotten to the point where they really weren't going to go any farther in in this particular company for a combination of of reasons, the company itself, what we needed, right? what they want to do the whole bit. And so it's suggesting that they leave, right? Mm -hmm. Take a package and leave. Well, I will tell you, you know, that person years later, we still have a good relationship. Best decision ever happened to them because they ended up in an environment in which they could thrive and actually continue, right? So just because you have to have tough conversations, it's just like families, we have tough yeah. conversations with siblings and kids and spouses all the time.
2: That's but we true. do
1: it because we care about them. So we have to have the conversation so we can actually move forward. Nice. And that's it. As long as you come to the conversation with care mm. in mind and their interest in mind and helping people see it from their perspective, right, yeah. then it works.
0: Yeah. Shelly, tell me about the book you've chosen to read for us.
1: Absolutely. The book is called all You Have to Do is Ask. it's by Wayne Baker, um, mm-hmm. and he's uh, a prof- professor. And the reason this book spoke to me is that we talked about it a little bit, right, Michael? Yes. I've always believed in driving your ambitions and going after your aspirations. Yes, you need to be intentional. Yes, you need to work hard, right? Yes, there are a lot of things you need to do. But the one thing that I think is critical to do is you have to ask for help.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: nobody achieves anything of significance all by themselves. That's true. No one. And if they said yeah. they did, they're lying. All right. I'm just telling you, nobody yeah. does. So <laughs> okay. therefore don't think you're the only person on the planet who's going to be able mm. to do it. Yeah. But here's the challenge. You know, I say, I say, ask for help. I've asked for a lot of help. It's made all the difference. Yeah. But how do you do it? Most of us are actually really uncomfortable asking for help. Right. And So the fact that Wayne wrote an entire book, on how to ask for help, yeah, it just complemented a belief that I've always had, which is we all need to ask for help because I found that if you ask someone for help in the right way, Mm -hmm. most people actually are willing to be helpful, right? That's right. So anyway, that's why this book I found to be very special because it's tactical, tangible examples, (laughs) advice. Here's how you do it.
0: When did it come into your life? I mean, how did you discover it?
1: Actually, I discovered it because I, like I said, I talk a lot about asking for help and letting people know what you want, right? All, all those things. And mm-hmm. he reached out to me. He, oh, had, that's he, had, nice. been, he had been doing a, a lot of research in this space and was writing a book on this topic. And so he was like, hey, you know, I'm writing a book on this topic. And so he sent it to me. And so I said, absolutely. This is terrific. Anyway, okay. so that's how this came into my life. And it's something that I share
0: because yeah, it's relatively new. It's a couple of years old. So yes. um, I'm delighted you're bringing it to us. Um, and how did you choose what two pages to read from?
1: Oh, that was the hardest part. <laughs> um, let me tell you, I, I scanned like two pages, two pages. Well, the way I did it was I looked at, okay, let me pull out at least a couple of key um, mm. themes and even a couple of key messages that just the yeah. two pages people should be able to get. And then oh, right. encourage them that, hey, there's actually more in here, right? If you look for it.
0: Perfect. Well, Shelley, I am excited to hear your two pages. So let me pass the mic to you, metaphorically at least, and um, over to you to read from um, All You Have to Do is Ask by Wayne Baker. Shelley, over to you.
1: Giving and receiving is a cycle that begins with an ask. The law of giving and receiving dictates that you should strike a balance between giving help and requesting it. Overly generous givers help too much. As a result, they suffer impaired productivity, generosity burnout, or worse. Selfish takers frequently ask, but neglect the obligation to help, and their reputation suffers. Lone wolves are the worst off. They don't participate in the cycle of giving and receiving at all. Those who are well-regarded and the most productive freely help others and also freely ask for help when they need it. These giver requesters are esteemed for their generosity and get the inflow of resources they need to achieve superior performance. Asking for what we need doesn't come easily for most of us. Asking is a behavior that must be learned. It requires three steps determining your goals and needs, translating needs into well-formulated requests, and figuring out whom and how to ask. You can use one or all three of these methods to determine your goals and needs, quick start, goal setting, and visioning. Once you've identified your needs, use smart, specific, meaningful, and action-oriented, realistic, and time-bound criteria to translate those needs into effective requests. Figuring out who to ask requires you to know who knows what, and who knows who. When you don't, you can consult directories, profiles, or bios and reach out to a dormant tie or try to find secondary contacts to help you. Finally, you can broadcast requests to groups, either in person or via social media and social networking sites. And remember that rejection is just an opinion and opinions change. In other words, you can find ways to turn a no into a yes.
0: I love it. Thank you, Shelley. You know, one of my favorite sayings is an adult-to-adult relationship mm-hmm. is being able to ask for what you want, knowing that the answer may be no. So it feels like you're, you're bringing that. Um, you know, in, that, in those two pages, Shelley, what, what's the kernel of truth there for you?
1: The kernel of truth is that it goes back to giving and receiving. If you want help from others, you need to give it. Mm-hmm. Right? It is an act. It is a two-way, two-way street. And it's not a quid pro quo. It's not a okay, Michael, I'll do this for you, but then you better do something for me. That's that's not giving or receiving. That's a deal. Right? Mm-hmm. What you just made is an agreement, right? Yeah. Very different. Giving is to give freely so that you can later ask freely. Mm-hmm. Right? And then so that's one. And two, this is hard. It's hard to ask mm-hmm. for help. Right, That's being vulnerable or showing that you don't know everything or whatever right. it might be. And so he acknowledges, hey, it's hard, but there are ways to do it that can be comfortable.
0: What's the boldest ask you've made?
1: <laughs> well, the boldest ask I made is I was interviewing for a job and to be the chief marketing officer, so need to be a sales of this company. And I was living in Dallas and the company was based in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And I could tell they were getting close. They were making me the offer. We're starting to negotiate the offer. Okay, great. We've got it all negotiated. They're going to move me and my family the whole bit. Yeah. And then I said, one of the objectives the CEO has is for me to hit the ground running fast. We need to make a fast change, fast growth, fast level. Blah, blah. So the best way to, for me to be the most effective is for the company to hire my current assistant.
2: Oh, nice. Because
1: she knows mm-hmm. me. She knows all about me. I'll be right, ready to go the da 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 she lives in Dallas too, and so does her family. Right. So I want you to hire her and move her and her family to Silicon Valley. Wow.
0: That's that great. was my
1: boldest ask.
0: That is a bold ask. <laughs> Shelly, it feels like, you know, in the, in the pages you read, there are, there are these different elements to it. One is knowing what you want. One is making the request. but The, th- the third is knowing of whom to ask to make the request. And it feels to me that there's a degree of short-term pain, which is like having the courage to make the make the ask. But actually, in some ways, the bigger things to try and figure out are, first of all, what do you want? And secondly, who do I ask? Mm-hmm. Let me start with the, the the final piece first. How do you nurture your ecosystem <laughs> so you've got the right people to ask? How do you figure out who who to make the request of?
1: Well, you know, you don't always have that... You don't always have within your network the right person to ask. So mm. let, me, let me give you, can I give you an example? Please. When I, I took over a very troubled company called Zapplet at the time, it became MetricStream. And mm-hmm. we needed to find what they were selling, nobody was buying. So we had to <laughs> wow. find a new value proposition. Right. So I was trying to find a problem in the market that the technology we had could solve. Okay, how do you do that? I mean, it's a big issue. And I've got a company right. that's burning money, so time's a ticket. Right. Um, So I started, I didn't know who to ask. So I asked everybody. I went and said to my board members, I said, I'm trying to find a problem to solve, right? What do you see Mm -hmm. happening in the business? And then they give me their thoughts. But here's the key. Then I went, then I said, who else do you think I should talk to? And then they would, because most people want to be helpful. So they'll give you Mm -hmm. somebody, right? Well, now you're in their network. And then you continue to do the same thing. You talk to them. Well, who else do you think I should talk? Anyway, so as a result, well, I've ultimately got to a guy by the name of Roger McNamee. You may know that name too. He's a literary in Silicon Valley. Yes. Um, very forward thinking. He's the one who first talked to me about the issue of risk and compliance management. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I dug into that and did some more. But if I had just relied on who I knew, I might yeah. not have gotten there. So it okay. doesn't matter that you don't have your immediate network.
0: So here's a question. How do you nurture the shamelessness to keep asking for help like that? And like, I'm quite big on shamelessness because I feel like I'm like, I'm shameless about asking for stuff. I'm like, you know, I've got nothing to lose here. All I'm going to get, if the worst I get is a no, I'm pretty much the same person and I'm in the same position I'm already am. Right. I'm wondering how you build up that capacity to keep asking when people go, I don't know, don't know an answer. don't want to talk to you. How do you keep going after the first sting of rejection?
1: Well, here's the key. You don't have to stick with the same people. <laughs> All right? So I, I, mean, I don't badger people. So, I mean, if people no. are like, I don't know. I can't figure out how to help you. Okay, you move on. Um, or mm-hmm. at least you try to get there. So I understand you don't know. But is mm-hmm. there anyone that you are familiar with that you think mm. might have a better perspective? And right. see, most people want to appear intelligent. Yeah. Right. And therefore, they're going to try to give you something if you if you ask them in a way in which like you're it. tying it to there. Right. So the way you do yeah. it is you compliment them. Michael, you know so much about this <laughs> piece of podcast. Yeah, yeah, I really pre- Can You think of someone in this industry that, you know, that I might talk to to just get blah, blah, blah. Now, if you tell me, no, what you've just yeah. done is you've just diminished. Right. My view of you. So you're not going to say no.
0: It's true, and I have a particularly fragile male ego, so I'm particularly <laughs> susceptible to, to this sort of stuff. I'm like, I'm desperate to appear smart in front of Shelly. so I'll, I'll say anything. <laughs> um, is there, there's, so there is, there is that ability to kind of keep moving and keep asking. I, I am wondering, though, is there something about how you look after and nurture your, your, your network, your relationship? Is there something? Is there something there that you've got a point of view on or some wisdom to share?
1: Yes. You know, I am fortunate in that I have a very strong network. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't just happen, you know, because first you have to define what a network is. I'm not talking about the number of contacts in my phone, right? right. To me, that's, that's not a network to me, a network are the people around you who will do something for you when it's not convenient.
0: Mm-hmm. That's nice. Right.
1: Yeah. To me, that's a real network. Now, to build that, it means you have to have a relationship. Mm. You have a relationship because otherwise, why would I do something for you when it's not convenient? Right. Um, So building relationships are something you have to nurture and work on.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And how do you do it? To me, it's a combination of showing you back to the caring, showing you care. Right. It's reaching out to people. Hey, we haven't connected in a little while. Was thinking about you, right? I'll send people articles. You know, read yeah. something that might say, you know, this made me think of you, right? Blah blah blah. Right. send it off. Um, I do communications, I'll do reach out, I do invitations, you know, to events and to things that are going on. I mean, I um it's all about showing you you care. And I genuinely do. The good news for me is I genuinely like people. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's helpful. <laughs> it is yeah. helpful.
0: I think probably, probably my problem is I don't like people enough. Maybe that's, <laughs> that. I mean, that's another story. Um, Shirley, what about the other part of the equation? So we've got knowing who to ask, we've got making the ask, but the, the start of that year is that you have to figure out what you want. You know What's, what, what's at the heart of the request? Because if you, if you ask for the wrong thing or you ask for trivial things, you're using up relationship equity. Um, is there a process you've got? for figuring out what's the request you want to make?
1: You know, the way I've approached just about everything in life, Michael is I'm very goal oriented. Mm. So it's always a matter of, okay, what is it I'm trying to, and then fill in the blank to do, to create, to achieve, right, something. And then I say, okay, so what has to be true for that to happen? Right. All right. So for instance, we'll go back to the CEO problem we need to save this company, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, what's the, what, what needs to be true? I need to have a product that people want to buy, <laughs> right? Yeah. So how does that happen? What has to be true for that to happen? Well, to have a product you want to buy, I've got to be solving a real problem, right? So you ask yourself questions. Mm-hmm. What has to be true, right? Yeah. In order to achieve what you want to achieve. And then how do I make it true? Yeah. Right? And the, how do you make it true are all the steps. So once you understand the steps, now you know
0: what you need to ask for. Mm, nice. I mean, I learned that question, what needs to be true for this to happen from Roger Martin, I think. And it's such a nice strategic question because it puts you into the future. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't say is this a good or a bad day idea. It just says what needs to be true. Exactly. And and then you can kind of figure out is there a path back to where you are now? Or actually is there not a path back? And right. either way, that's a good outcome.
1: Exactly right.
0: Shelley, your book is called "Unapologetically Ambitious: Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Success on Your Own Terms." Um, speak to me about the word "unapologetic." It's a powerful word.
1: It is a powerful word. You know, it's in, it's interesting because I had the entire book written and I had no title.
0: I've been there. I've written five or six books, and I'm like, this title thing is killing me. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. I was like, okay. Um, I knew I wanted the word ambition or ambitious or something in it because, too many yeah. times in my career, and I know the career of others, you know, people are told they're ambitious and it's not meant as a compliment. Right. Which to me is ridiculous because all ambition yeah. means is there's something that you are sh- striving for to achieve in yeah. the future. Everybody yeah. should have something they're trying to achieve. So, at any anyway, rate, so I knew I that, but I couldn't figure, I couldn't just call it ambition. Um, right. And then I was having a conversation with a group of friends, all women. And we got into this whole thing about apologizing. And I said, right. you know, I believe women are raised from birth to apologize. I mean, my husband would step on my foot and I'd say, I'm sorry. He didn't. <laughs> I did Why? Because Mm -hmm. my foot's in the way. Right. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. It was just, it's just like this knee jerk reaction. And I remember (laughs) telling him, I was like, you know, babe, you never apologize. (laughs) And he's like, what are you talking about? I apologize all the time. I'm like, no, you don't. Right. And we went back and forth and I said, listen, count when you've apologized. He said, I apologize every time I do something intentionally wrong.
0: Right. Uh (laughs) What's that definition?
1: Intentionally (laughs) wrong. Whereas I apologize just to make people feel better, right? Right. It had nothing to do with me. So it's like, whoa. And we were talking about it. I said, you know, we've got to stop apologizing because everybody thinks we really are sorry for everything that happens and we're responsible. And that's when when it hit me. I'm like, you know what? That's it. Unapologetically ambitious, right? We all deserve to be ambitious and no one should have to apologize for it.
0: What do you see people apologizing for in terms when they're when they're dancing with their own ambition?
1: Oh my goodness. (sighs) Apologize for a lot of things. I see Mm. people apologizing for who they are, which is Mm -hmm. the one that really bothers me. And when I say who they are, I mean, if they might have like an accent or might come from a different place, whatever they say, oh, apologies for my accent, or apologies for this, or apologies, it's like, no, that's who you are. It's made you who you are. It's gotten you to this point, right? Do not apologize for who you are. Um, and then two, I see people apologizing for things that happen that aren't even in their control, right. Right. Or for their behavior. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for this or I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for that. And when you say it too much, it diminishes you. It makes Mm. you feel like what you're saying is I don't belong and I'm sorry for standing here. Right. And that's not what they mean. So. You know, this apologizing thing, we need to figure out different ways, especially for women, because sure. like I said, we're almost raised to do this, for sure. um, but we've got to figure out different ways to communicate, but it's okay to make mistakes. It is yeah. okay for you to step forward. It's okay for you to raise your hand, right? I'm sorry. Of I course. just have a comment. <laughs> no, don't say you're sorry because you have a comment.
0: Of course, if you move across the border up north to Canada, where I'm where I'm based, it, we all apologise for everything all the time as well. It's one <laughs> of our national characteristics. So th- there's that. Uh, you know, Shelley, one of the in your subtitle you talk about creating success on your own terms, and one of the challenges with ambition is climbing the wrong mountain. You know, it's like you know, that saying, "I got to the top of the ladder, and it wasn't the ladder I wanted to climb." But you become ambitious for other people's definitions of success, rather than your own definition in your own terms. How do you untangle what's expected or hoped for you? And how do you find what really matters to you?
1: Yeah, no, you know what? This is such a deep question, uh, because I think it's at the heart of a lot of this, um, as I was defining what I wanted, it was, you know, early was simple and then things evolve for all of us. What yeah. we want to think evolves, yeah. but it was simple. It's like, I want to keep my thermostat at 72 degrees, <laughs> right? How much <laughs> right. money do I need to make? Right. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then it evolved to, okay, I want a career, uh, but I mm. also want to get married. I want children. Yeah. Okay. So then those became right. Goals that I had. And then as Jeff have killed children and things, okay, I want my children to grow up to be, Independent and confident and caring people, right? I mean, so I think mm. what what you want evolves, but what I try to tell people is think about it at the most basic level. Right. I think that is the most basic level because if you define it at the basic level, then there might be different ways to actually achieve it yeah. versus if you just hold off at a very high level, okay, it's this. Um, well, that this can change in time if you're always going after it, but mm. you don't have the foundation underneath you. You're right. You end up at the top of a ladder, but there's nobody holding the bottom. <laughs> right. um, so that's that's what I encourage people to do. Just think basic. Basics, what do you want?
0: And, and and when you say basics, you mean just kind of big foundational blocks, like I do want kids or I don't want kids or yes. something more specific than that? Yeah,
1: or it can also be, you know, for instance, as I evolved through, right, I, I wanted to be able to positively impact people, mm. right? I consider that kind of a basic thing. Um, right. You know, everybody said what they want. I've never been driven. I'm not a mercenary. So I've never been driven by the biggest dollar, right? right. Some people are. What's most important yeah. to them is they're what their bank statement, right? Or investment right. portfolio says, right? That's, that's the most important what they're driving to. So figure out what's really important to you. And it's mm-hmm. okay if that's what it is. I mean, we're all driven yeah. differently. So it's not a, I'm not, you know, downplaying people, but figure out what it really is for you. Right. So that at the end of the day, no matter what happens, because trust me, there are going to be things, times when things go great and there are going to be times when things just are terrible, right? right? But if you don't have that foundation, it's really hard to keep bouncing back.
0: What's the price you pay for ambition?
1: One is being vulnerable. I talked about that
0: because
2: mm-hmm.
1: you have to be vulnerable in order to get it. So if you're vulnerable, then you know, one of the prices you pay is you know, you're kind of open to attack in some ways, right? Things have all that stuff. So that, that's yeah. one price you pay. Um, another price you pay is making hard choices,
2: mm.
1: right? Notice I don't say sacrifices. I cannot yeah. stand that term sacrifice. Um, I feel a sacrifice is something you do completely for someone else. You know I sacrificed right. myself for you. Mm. And when you do that, I believe you put way too much pressure on the person that you sacrificed for because they can right. never be thankful enough or grateful enough or appreciative right. enough because all that you did for them, right? No, no, no. no. You own the choices. You own the decisions. And yeah. a lot of times they're hard, but you have to own them. So right. I see that as another
0: No, I've just read, uh, I had a chance to pre-read Susan, uh, Susan Cain's new book called Bittersweet. Yes. And one of the things I like about it is it's reoriented me to the word sacrifice because the etymology of that is to make sacred. And I hadn't thought of that before, but that this is an act that in the act, I'm making something sacred between us. Mm -hmm. And I'm now thinking about sacrifice in a, in a new and different way. Um, Shelley, this has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you. Um, As a final question, what needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in this conversation between you and me?
1: Oh, my goodness. In the time we've spent, we only scratched the surface. (laughs) That's true. true. (laughs) On on so so many things. I guess the big thing is, on the whole, you know, all you have to do is ask. Yeah. If you have aspirations, if you have things that you are trying to do, achieve, or to impact, Nice. Make sure other people know about it so they can actually help you. If you keep it a secret, if you keep it a secret, people don't know how to help. And you'd be surprised. Most people want to be helpful if they can.
0: One thing this conversation has prompted for me is the question, how do I balance vulnerability and ambition? I mean, if I have one, is it true that I can't have the other? But where I want to go is actually that throwaway line from Shelley's around you know, learning to take off her armor. Now, I can think of three key pieces of armor. There's your helmet, protecting your head. Let's think of it as like protecting your ideas. There's your breastplate, protecting your heart. So maybe that's protecting your sense of self. And then there, there are greaves. They're protected, they're kind of the shin pads, protecting your legs. and Your ability, let's say, to act and to move. So let's assume that you and I, we're all wearing armor. Which of that armor is actually helpful for you right now? What's helpful to protect? And here, of course, is the question I'm really wrestling with. Which piece might it be time to remove? To become more open and vulnerable? More open, say, to sharing your ideas or testing your ideas out in public or kind of showing them into the sunlight. More vulnerable, more courageous, perhaps around collaborating with others. You know, one of the great challenges to a sense of self is meeting other people and interacting with other people. Or maybe there's something about taking some risk, being more vulnerable, more open around what do you do, what do you experiment, what do you test? How do you run small experiments to see what might work? If you enjoyed my conversation with Shelley, I've got a couple of other interviews to suggest from the Two Pages series you might enjoy. Arthur Brooks, he put a book out, started the year called From Strength to Strength, and it's really about, and this is the name of our interview, In Search of Purpose. How do you find that, particularly if you're in that second half of your life, like I am, so welcome. Um, And then my friend, Liz Wiseman, my interview with her is called How to Thrive. Um, She's got a great new book called Impact Players, and it's really about what does it take to be one of those people who's really making a difference in the work and in the life that you have. If you'd like more of Shelley, well, then you can definitely check her out at her website. And we'll put this in the notes, of course. But her website is Shelley Archimbo. All of those words are slightly tricky to spell. So I'll spell them for you. S-H-E-L-L-Y-E. That's not the usual order. Y-E. S-H-E-L-L-Y-E. A-R-C-H-A-M-B-E-A-U, Shelley Archambault. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you for giving it some love. We've got quite a lot of uh, reviews now, which is so nice to see and so appreciated. If you're willing to give us a score on the platform on which you listen, stars or some nice words, appreciate that. The podcast grows by word of mouth. So if this interview struck a chord for you and you're thinking, hey, that person in my life should know about it, Passing that interview on with your recommendation means a great deal. So thank you for that. You're awesome and you're doing great.